0: Make sure you guys are doing good so hey we're gonna do a series uh this month we're talking about heroic trying to get a title for it but we're trying to talk about a little bit about being heroic but um primarily the four, the next four four weeks the next the teachings are going to come out of um sort of some of the themes for some of the movies that are going out there and we're also going to try to answer what are called intrinsic questions Intrinsic questions are questions that every single person is born with. And if you're aware of this. We all have the same questions going on in our heart at an intrinsic level. And one of those inc- intrinsic questions is hope or future. Can my tomorrow be better than today? What does it all mean? That's an intrinsic question. Who am I? What am I? What is my purpose? What does it all mean? Those are, every single person asks those questions at some level and so we're all born with those questions being in our hearts and God ultimately, Jesus is the one who answers these intrinsic questions. So we're gonna talk today about can your tomorrow be better than today? And, um, and it's kinda like, I can neither confirm nor deny nor recommend any of these movies. I'm just trying to pull some themes out of the movies that are already out there, um, Tomorrowland. Anybody see Tomorrowland at all? No? Yeah, you saw. Did you like it? Meh, meh. It's like, kind of like a. She, she's about right in the middle because the 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 uh, the ratings were like 50 percent. So it's like you know half liked it, half didn't. But Tomorrowland is about about a future and it's about um, building into the future. So this theme today comes out of that. And so the, ask, the the question is, can my tomorrow be better than my today? And the answer to that question is yes but you need to understand a few things. Number one, your todays are always determined, your tomorrows are determined by your todays. So where you will be tomorrow is gonna be determined by the choices that you are making today, right? If you do not make, if you keep making, I have a saying here, it says, if you want what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. So in other words, if you keep making the same choices, Einstein said, the definition of stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That's the definition of dumb, okay? And so if we want something that we've never had, we must do what we've never done. And if our tomorrows are determined by our todays and the choices that we are making today and that our lives in some way, not in all parts, but in outcome, God calls us beyond the mediocrity. And here's a few, just a few things here. This is always a reminder to myself is that every one of us here, we got one shot. You got one shot. We go around this merry-go-round one time. We don't get a redo. I wish we had a redo. Don't you? Wish I could rewind back. Some of us want to rewind back next last week, last year, last five years, last ten years. We want to rewind, but we don't get that. What life is, we are time travelers, but we're only traveling one way. We're traveling into the future. And so what life is, is it's, an, it's a series of opening and closing opportunities. That's really what life is. And so as these doors open and these opening and closing opportunities, our choices in relationship to these opportunities that are presented to us determine our future or determine our outcome. We all got one shot. What do you do with your life? You can build your life. You can invest your life. Or guess what? You can waste your life, right? Nothing worse than people that do hospice care. And I've listened to a couple people over the years that done hospice care. And I'm always curious, what do the dying regret? What do they regret? And they always deny or they always regret some of the choices that they made that they felt that they have lived their life in the wrong direction or that they um they didn't spend enough time with friends and family the quality time that they lived for the wrong reason they didn't believe that they lived according to their true self or their true identity these are the regrets of the dying these are the people that are on the edge of the death here the the last days and it's like what are they looking back on and what are they regretting so what can we learn from that they lived a life of fear they' did refuse to live a life of risk. My grandma eighty three years old, when she was in a hospital, she always told me, and i 'm common saying that um, she didn 't regret the things she did, she regretted the things she didn 't do, and she regretted the things she didn 't try right? Your failures are a great teacher, but we can build our lives, we can waste our lives and here 's the deal because ultimately when you say something like that there 's going to be somebody in the room that 's going to be thinking man i 've wasted my life you know I'm, i, I don 't think I can ever I want to, I have to go back and be 20 years old again and start this over. And the answer is that's not true because it's never too late to start. And the Bible shows us how to find purpose in our future. The Bible shows us that not only is there purpose in our future, but the only one who can actually give us the future is the Lord. In Jeremiah 29, 11, says, I know the plans that I have for you. So what, here's the first question, or here's the first statement. Jesus has plans for you. What? He has plans. I told my daughter this when she was a little girl. And I was trying to tell her, look, Mariah, God's got plans for you. He's got future. I go, you understand what I'm saying? And she's like, yeah. And I go, and, you know, I was talking to her about all this stuff. And I said, you know, when you get older, you know, you're giving your life to Jesus and you understand. I go, we're going to baptize you. And, you know, you're going to see all these things happen and God's got plans for you. And so Sherry comes home and she's like, Mommy. She's like, oh, how's it going, Mariah? And she's like, and Mar- Mar- she's probably like six years old. She goes, uh, Mommy, Daddy says that God has plants for me. <laughs> And he says, and she grabs her hair and she goes, and when I get older, she holds out her hair, she goes, I can get bow ties. <laughs> so I didn't really get that point across to you, but anyway, she, but God has plans for you. He has a plan and he has a purpose. And what do those plans include? Everything that God has for you is a plan to prosper you. Everything that God has for you is a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. Everything that God has for you is to bring about hope in a future. This is important to understand because in that plan, in that hope, in that future, there are divine directives. It's called obedience if we really want to get down on it. And sometimes we think that God calls us into this level of obedience and he calls us into this level of submission or servitude because he's against us. That's completely not the case. God calls us into obedience, submission, servitude, love, worship, not because he's against us, but the facts are that he is for us and that the only way he can activate his plans, the only way he can activate his future is prosperity and, and all of these things, the only way those things are activated in our lives is when we walk in alignment with who he is. And so there are a lot of people that rage against God. Well, if God has plans for me and God wants to prosper me, well, then why isn't he doing it? Well, I'd simply say, number one, it's in alignment with Jesus, that's number one, and then probably the second part is an alignment in obedience. And then if you really want to go out to the third one, it's because it's in alignment with timing. So those are the factors that relate to God's activation of his purposes in our life. It's Jesus first. It's obedience or aligning with, with their keys to activation to his promises. Am I in alignment with that? And then the third thing is, am I aligning and am I waiting and in the, in the zone of his timing? Am I in his time and his season? But God has plans for you. He's the only one that has them. And by the grace of God given to me, 1 Corinthians 13, or excuse me, 3, says, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. God, one of the ways that God shows us how to build a life is he compares it to building a house. He compares it to planting a field, growing a field, tending the field, growing uh, vines and uh, harvests. He, he shows us that. And he also shows us the idea of building a house. There's systems, there's sequences, there's necessary things that have to be done in order for this to come about. It just doesn't come about randomly, right? A lot of people believe they're waiting for God to do something. Well, God's waiting on you to align. He's waiting for you to connect with what He's trying to get you to do. Say, oh, God said He's going to have a hope for a future from you. What are you doing? I'm waiting around for it. Well, good luck with that. Have you asked Him what your next step is? He says, we lay the foundation as a wise builder. Each one of us need to build with care. For there can be no other foundation that can be laid other than Jesus Christ. There's the key right there. Right? So we're going to go into this idea of what, how to have purpose in your future. And the first thing is, it's a life that's built. And a life that is to be built, must be built upon the rock foundation. I was in construction, that's what I went to school for before God called me out of that world. But I went to school for that, I learned all of that, I learned all the systems, I had to do all that. I was in building construction for a long time. And one of the biggest things that you understand is that the foundation takes the longest time to lay. The foundation takes the most time and takes the most effort in order to lay. But once the foundation is laid, the building rises very quickly. But the foundation also determines the size, the scale, and the scope of the building. You can want to build a tower, but if your foundation is wrong, that tower is coming down. You can build an amazing mansion, but if your foundation is wrong, then it's coming down. And so Jesus is our foundation. And so anybody, regardless of where they are, as even as a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, the way we lay that foundation is not just by receiving him. The way we lay that foundation is in the intimacy, the development of the relationship with him, the integration of the the relationship into every area of our life establishes a foundation. If Jesus is not the foundation of your marriage, you do not have a foundation in your marriage. If Jesus is not the foundation of your business, you do not have a foundation in your business. And we can go on down the list. We, and that's what it means. That foundation takes time to, to lay. And so we lay that foundation first by asking Christ into our heart, and then we lay that foundation again by, by implementing the things that he wants into these areas, and then we're able to build on that. But without the right foundation, the house has literally no chance of standing. You say, I don't believe that. I think my education is my foundation. That's what my mom and dad always told me. Get your master's, get your PhD, go out there and get a good job. That's your foundation. No, 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 Kevin. It's your stock portfolio and your retirement plan and your 501K. That's the foundation that we build on, okay? No, no, it's friends and family. We build our lives on friends and family. That's the foundation. I have news for you. None of those things will last. None of them. You lose your job tomorrow. Pray you don't. Lose your stock portfolio tomorrow. Pray you don't. Lose your friends and family tomorrow. Pray you don't. So what happens? The only one who sticks with us is Jesus. The only foundation that we build upon is Christ. The only one who has the ability, it's interesting if you look at ruins of the ancient world, what do you always find? You don't always find the roof, do you? But if you dig, you always find the foundation because the foundation is what is eternal. The foundation is what is lasting. They can figure out where a building was not because they found columns but because they can find a foundation. The foundation has to be laid. Everything starts with the foundation. So the question is, is, what is the foundation Is not only your life on, what is the foundation of your marriage? What is the foundation of your children? What is the foundation of your business? What is the foundation of your finances? What is the foundation of your future? What are the foundations of that? What is that based on? Jesus says this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who builds his house on the rock. We see the image. We see the picture of where he's going here. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house. Very important to note that the rain falls on both houses. The storms come against both houses. The house that is built on the rock experiences storms. The house that is built on the sand experiences storms. The storms aren't the issue. It's whether or not the the house has the ability to weather it. That is the issue. The rain comes down, the streams rise, the winds beat against the house. It didn't fall because it was on the rock. Everyone who hears these, my, these words of mine, if you hear my word and just completely disregard them, see there again is our foundational principles, you're a fool. Oh, that's not nice, Jesus. You're calling me a fool. Yep, he's calling you a fool. You are a foolish person building your house on sand. The rain comes down, the streams rise, the winds blow and blows against that house, and that house will fall with a great crash. Systems, governments, nations, lives, marriages, businesses, relationships fall with great crashes because they are built upon the wrong foundation. Jesus is the foundation of all life. He's literally what the Bible calls the cornerstone and in the ancient world when they would build a building, the first thing they would set, you see it a lot of times if you look at, we do slab on grade here. So if you look at the way houses are built and you ever see the way they lay block, that you always see them lay the corner first, right? So you'll watch these block masons, and you'll see them and they'll lay the corner and they'll usually let for that corner set and dry, usually, before they go building out off of it. They set the corner first. Jesus is the corner because the corner establishes the lines in all other directions. Jesus is the cornerstone. How do you make Jesus the foundation of your heart? So I want to build that foundation. Number one, you surrender your heart. This is important. This is very important in an intellectual world, in an intellectual uh, nation. We have to get back to the principle of the surrender of the heart, not the mind. We surrender our heart. And when you surrender your heart to Jesus, he gives you something called salvation and he gives you a new heart. If you've done that, if you haven't done that, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that before the service is over. But if you haven't done, if you have done that, then your second step is you surrender your will. Ouch. You mean it just doesn't end up when I surrender my will or my heart? No, that's only the beginning. It's like getting married. You put that ring on your finger, you're like, woo, yeah. You think that that's it. Honeymoon forever, is it? (laughs) That's just the beginning, man. It's the surrender of your will, the servitude, one to the other, the submission, one to the other, the love, one to the other, the forgiveness, one to the other. So we surrender our heart and then we begin to surrender our will What the Bible would call, well, we, Jesus would say, it's the following of me. It's called sanctification. It's the setting apart. It's where you begin. He begins to lead you out of one world and into another. He begins to lead you out of one reality and into a greater reality. That's what it means to follow Jesus. If we're not experiencing these new realities and we're not experiencing life change, it can be directly traced back to our willingness to follow him. It can be directly traced back to our, at some point, there is a lack of surrender. It's just that simple whatever it looks like we can figure that out because Jesus has hopes he has plans for you he has prosperity for you he has a future for you but he also has a plan right and we want all the bennies but we don't want all the work right it's like a kid in school he wants all the grades but he doesn't want to write the essays I've been writing essays with my son so as you can tell man. <sighs> like, can't you just give me a grade? I'm like, no, they don't just do, it doesn't work like that, Elias. You actually have to submit the paper in order to get the grade. So the first thing is laying the foundation with Jesus is surrender. The second thing is even as we begin to follow him is we have to focus on what matters most. So if you come to Christ, then you begin to live your life and to focus it on the things that matter most. And so in case you didn't know, they're discovering the metaphysical realities of our world and our universe and what they're learning and they're learning all of these different things. They're learning that life and creation operates according to a system of harmonics that there are literally tones within the universe itself crazy stuff that we're discovering now and one of the things that they've learned and they're discovering is that all of life responds to love isn't that interesting? One writer said, it's as if all of, everything was, everything was, I don't know what the word they use, love, evolve, but they throw in creation every now and then these crazy people. I'm like, well, is it created or is it evolved? Which one is it? I don't, you're confusing me when it suits them. But all of creation is framed with love. And it runs as a thread through all of time and space. Plants respond to love. Your animals respond to love. Some of you saw the little rice demonstration there. That, That rice and water responds to love. Everything responds to love. And so what we are called to do as we follow Jesus is we're to focus on the things that matter. For in Christ Jesus. There is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. What circumcision was and uncircumcision was, and you can get the picture of what that is if I need to explain it to you. I don't know if there's any phys- physicians in the house. I'll point you to them, um, but just Google it if you don't know what circumcision is. But what circumcision was and uncircumcision was in the ancient world is it was a symbol of devotion. It was a symbol of dedication. My life, my family, my bloodline, my purpose, my future, that's what it meant, is dedicated to the Lord. So it was a symbol of devotion. God's saying in Jesus, that no longer is the evidence of our devotion. What is the evidence of our devotion is, is faith working through love. You want to know if you love Jesus? You want, to know, you want to know if you're devoted to Christ? Does your faith operate with love? Are you serving Jesus and serving others and living life by his spirit through love? And so that's the question. Well, what the heck is love? You know, we got this... It's a feeling, it's an emotion, it's a, it's a tingle that I get and I just, I'm not hungry anymore and you know, and I just feel like I don't want to eat because I'm so in love and you know, that's an emotion, right? That's not love. Love is a verb. Love is a direct action. Love is self-denial for the benefit of another. That's what love is. So we can define it that way. So what does it mean? It says this, we love God with all our heart, all our soul, our mind and our strength. We deny ourselves for the benefit of the other. That's what it means to love. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? So I deny myself for the benefit of the other. And guess what? There's very little feeling attached to that. He didn't say feel it. He said do it. Love is actually a verb, and it's an issue of obedience. And so as Christians, we begin to focus on the right things, focus on the mattered things. And we're waiting for a feeling. We don't feel our way into obedience. We obey our way into feeling. See how the flip of the world? If anyone confesses Jesus Christ, 1 John, uh, that Jesus is the son of God, then the Lord abides in him. So there it is. You've confessed Christ, the foundation is laid, God is in you, and you are in him. Now there's an exchange. Now there's this spiritual encounter that you've just had. And God now lives in you, and now you're now living in God. And we know that we have come to believe that God, that God, ha- God has in us. God is love. So he is the one who denies himself for the benefit of the other. You understand that? where we get John 3:16, God so loved that he gave his only son who did what gave himself for the benefit of the other God so loved that he gave his son so that we could all feel each other around and give away chocolates and flowers and write little nice notes to each other and all that other stuff or that it had nothing to do with emotion very little yes love was the feeling but love is defined by the action love is not a it's a verb We can feel all we want, but love means nothing until the action is attached. By this, love is perfected in us, and we have confidence. So as we serve the Lord, love becomes perfected in us. As we practice this idea of love and self-sacrifice for the benefit of God and for the benefit of others, love becomes perfected in us. Amazing. But just as Jesus is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear Because fear has to do with punishment And the one who fears punishment Has not been perfected in love And how do we love? How is it that we even have the capacity to love? If you don't have Jesus You cannot love Well I see it all the time around me No, they're loving for the wrong reasons Most people are loving for what they can get Or there's some equation of a a benefit to them The love that God calls us to Is a self-sacrificing love And you as a human do not possess it So you know. Only in the spirit do you possess that kind of love. It's called agapeo. Phileo, eros, um, I forget the other one that's like where I like Sundays, but phileo, eros, uh, and agape are the types of love in the Bible. Phileo is friendship, eros is intimate love uh, between a man and a woman, and agapeo is self sacrificing love. And God calls us to agapeo, and we don't have it. You can't love as a human. You cannot love at that level unless you have Jesus. You can't. You can't. Because it's imparted only by the Spirit. That love comes only from God. It's like forgiveness. You can't truly forgive without Christ. You can't. That's why we see vengeance and people are on all the different types of things, because they can't sleep and we've got all these crazy things going on because we're dealing with a level of unforgiveness. Some of that biological stuff is a result of an emotional state that we're in consistently and we can't forgive because we're trying to expect something of ourselves that we cannot do. You have to be in the spirit in order to do that. It is only imparted by the spirit, period. Can't be done. And so it begins with letting God love you. This is a big one. This is really big. When we talk about fear here and fear of judgment, it's because people don't really know that God loves them. Christians don't really know that God is for you. Even when you're against yourself, Christians don't really know that if we, if, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Christians don't really know that they're loved and that they're adopted. The unbeliever doesn't really know how Oh, God's love, which means they take it as a permission. God is love. God doesn't judge. You heard that lately. He's just love. Well, just because you're saying he's loved, that is not a He per- doesn't mean he's permissive. It doesn't mean it's like do whatever you want. That's what love means. That's not what it means. But we have to let God love us We have to know that He is for us When we're against ourselves We have to know that He has a hope and a destiny And that's what releases the fear The fear is released by knowing that God is good The fear is released by accepting the fact And understanding what your identity is So it's experiential grace says, so and we have come to know And to believe that the love of God That word know is the, is the word experience experiential love with the Father. Worship is a tremendous atmosphere for experiencing the love of God, which I encourage you if you want to stick around for the second service, even just for worship, so that you can get in the spirit and experience the love of God and experience the presence of God. It's one of the reasons why we gather on Sundays. It's one of the reasons why we worship, so the spirit can be released and you can encounter the love of God. It's experiential. We worship, we adore him, we look to him, and we let his love pour through us and his love come upon us and his love will be on us. And as we get into that state of being, then we live from that state of being. That's what it means to walk in the spirit, right? Doesn't mean, well, I gotta walk as a Christian so I better control my behavior. You ever tried that? It doesn't work well for me. <laughs> you don't think the devil uses it? Look at you, pastor. And uh, yeah, that's me. This is me apart from Jesus. That's me right there. But watch me in Christ and now watch it happen. So we can't be self-condemning. We have to look to the Lord. We have to experience that grace. We live from the abundant center of love. The fruit of the Spirit or what the Spirit produces in our life is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Guess what? You don't have self-control without the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad? Woo! gonna set some people free here this morning. (laughs) You're expecting something of yourself that you cannot do. We can control ourselves on a lot of levels and you should, but there are some arcs in our lives and you all know what you are. you got your crazy, I got mine, right? Welcome to crazy town. We all got our crazy and you cannot control your crazy apart from the spirit of God because it is a fruit of the spirit. You understand that? And this is why perfect love casts out fear because we condemn ourselves for things that we are not, don't have the capacity in ourselves to do. And so we're self condemning and we think, oh, I just need to try better. I need to just try a little harder. No, you need to get in the spirit and live from that center. That's what you need to do, because you can't, do, you can't handle crazy, so you know. Crazy is as crazy does, right? But it's the fruit of the spirit? Self-control, gentleness, kindness, patience, love. That's why when your kids are getting on your nerve, you just kind of go like this. Jesus, help me. <laughs> I got one nerve left and they are working it. <laughs> Gather the right companions. This is, again, we're talking about going into our future, right? Foundation is Christ, living out of what matters most. Gathering the right companions. Life will be determined by your fray of closest companions, period. You can't soar with the eagles if you spend your time walking with turkeys. I just wanna let you know that, right? The people that you associate with will influence you. It says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, don't stop lying to yourself. You're hanging out with the club crowd. You're going to be in the club crowd. It's just a matter of time. You're hanging out with guys who like to cheat on their wives. It's just a matter of time before you're cheating on your wife. You like hang out with a bunch of dudes that like to neglect their children and their family time. It's just a matter of time before you start neglecting your children and your family time. Make no mistake. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm called to influence them. You can't go where they go. They must come to where you are. There's a line. You can be friends with people, but you can't go where they go. Just ran into a guy recently and he just, I hadn't seen him in a while. And he's just telling me, man, it's just like my life fell apart. I've been going down this road and hanging out with these people and doing these things. And You know what I said to him? I go, how's that working out for you? And he said, horrible. He said, horrible. He's like, I feel like, every, like the wheels are coming off. He's like, I feel like everything's... And he's just saying, you know, because like, he's feeling convicted. Oh, here's the pastor. I haven't been to church in like, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, I'm like, hey. I'm more like, hey, what's going on, man? How's it going? He's like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Pulling a shirt over his head. Kind of thing. I'm like, look, man. Like, just get it right. Just, just realign yourself. With me, without me. We start learning that thing. That it's better with Jesus. Better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. We start learning that. It's better to just stand in the house than it is to stand in the club. That's what we learn. (laughs) I may be doing nothing, but I'm standing in the house. At least this is better than where I was. We start understanding that. Proverbs says, run from the presence of a fool. Somebody needs to write that down. And somebody needs to tape that on the mirror. The next slide, we're back, we're back one, one slide. Proverbs fourteen seven says, Leave the presence, literally flee the presence of a fool, for you will never understand wise counsel. You hang out with fools, you will never understand wisdom because all that they know is foolishness. You know what is better than friends, though? This is the question, family. And guess what? You're formed for family. Aren't you glad? Family's better than friends. Ephesians says this, When you come to Christ, you're no longer foreigners, strangers, aliens, but you're citizens, along with God's people and members of his family. So what we need to know here is families expressed through the church. So you give your life to Christ. And if you're a Christian here this morning, you need to understand you are called to commit and connect to a church. You're not the Lone Ranger and you're not the dipper. I dip in over here, I dip in over there, I dip in over here, I'm gonna run over here for a while. You're called to commit and connect to a church, a local body, a local family. There is no excuse for you to not be connected. If you give your life to, when you give your life to Christ, and some of you may do that today, when you give your life to Christ, you need to know that the church is an intimate part of what God wants to do for you and through you. And so family is expressed through the church. Family is not just expressed through the church. FYI, family in the church is first family. Let's just say that together. First family. First family. Thank you. Someone's outside. They tell Jesus, Luke 8, hey, man, your mother and brothers are out there. And you know what was going on? Jesus is healing people, and there's all this kind of crazy stuff. And so his mothers and brothers say, we need to go down there and rescue him before he makes a fool out of himself and all of us. And so they went down there to kind of rescue Peter, or rescue Jesus, Mary and his brothers, some of his brothers, not, you know, anyway, long story. not going to explain that to you. But they went down there to pull him out, and Jesus is like going, uh, who are my mothers, who are my brothers, who are my sisters, those who hear the word of God and do it. So church is first family, in case you don't understand that. And I pray that all of your, all of your family connections come to Christ. But what matters most is this one. This is the eternal family. I get to be with you for eternity. And guess what? You get to be with me for eternity. Oh, happy day. And you're like, but crazy. Church is crazy, man. People get on my nerves. People irritate me. Well, guess what? Welcome to the family, right? (laughs) That's what family is. And guess what? You irritate people. What? You get on people's nerves. And they have to deal with you. They have to deal with your crazy just as much as you have to deal with their crazy. Welcome to the family. I get Christians say this when I make this statement, they go, church doesn't feel like family. You know, I ask them these questions. I said, are you serving? Are you giving? And are you plugging in? The church will never feel like family until you serve. The church will never feel like family until you give where your treasure is. There your heart will be. You understand the connection? Start giving, And all of a sudden, things start mattering to you. Start serving, and all of a sudden, things start mattering to you. Start plugging in, and you start developing uh, uh, developing restaurants, developing relationships. The idea of serving is the difference between family dinners and restaurants. Anybody go to restaurants? As I've gotten older, I love eating out. God help me. I love eating out. I like somebody else just doing it for me, man. Yeah, I'll take two tacos, bring them over here right in there. You clean up at the house like we cooked hamburgers yesterday and it's like, I'm looking, I still got all this mess on the counter. I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to clean this up. But at a restaurant, they do everything for you. They bring it to you. They fill your water glass and all this other stuff. And guess what you get to do at a restaurant? You get to complain, right? My tacos were cold. The mashed potatoes were a little mushy. In fact, I'd like to see the manager. And can I get a comment card? That's what we do at restaurants. But when we have family dinners, What happens at a family dinner? We call each other up, hey, you coming over? Yeah, I'm coming, all right. I need you to stop by the store and pick up some hamburger buns. Okay, would you do that, pick up buns? All right, so I call, no, no, I need ice and I need soda. Would you run out and get me ice and soda? Hey, could somebody help me over here? Can somebody help me set this up over here? Hey, by the way, can you all help clean up? You see the difference? Family dinner, Christians treat church like it's a restaurant. That was a three, Pastor, try it again next week. I didn't like the worship, the music was a little loud, and when is somebody gonna fix this place up? When is somebody, you know, I just can't believe it. We complain, we give comment cards, we do all these different things, but that's not the dynamic. The dynamic is family. We serve one another, we love one another, we help, we participate. What can I do to make the family dinner better? What can I do to make the experience better? What can I do? And the last one is committing to a higher purpose. Next slide. So you need to get the right companions. If you're not committed and connected to a church, you need to. If you're committed to connected to a church and you view the church as a restaurant, you need to stop. Well, I am coming to get fed. I'm coming to get fed. Well, I go to my mom's house to get fed too, but she doesn't expect me to leave the, leave, leave a mess. If I eat, I clean up, right? Huh? And if I go, Hey, you know, mom, you know, I like roast chicken. What's up with the, what's up with the roast beef? Why don't you, why do you got roast beef? And you know, I like roast chicken. She's going to go. The store is two miles down the road, Kevin. Why don't you just get in the car, go down there and get yourself some roast chicken and come back here. You know, it's just kind of how it is. And so we commit to the Lord. We focus on the the right things. We understand church as a family. We commit and connect to it. We build healthy relationships through the family, not at a distance, and we commit to a higher purpose. And here's the idea here. You're not here for you. Newsflash, you're not on the planet for you. So what does it mean? They asked Jesus, they said, well, I'll give you the statement. What it means as a believer is we make great commitments. Great commitments to what? A great commitment to the great commandment and a great commitment to the great commission. And what does that look like? Well, Matthew 23 says, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love finds its expression in, in servitude. We serve one another. We serve everything around us. We are servants by nature. It is enough for the master for the servant to be like his master. That's enough. Jesus came to serve. He is the model of servitude. And it, Jesus is like, you are not greater than me. Okay? You're not above me. And so it's a, what, what greatness comes and what destiny and purpose comes is it comes and love finds its expression in servitude, not ego trips. Do you know who I am? You know who I am? This is the old idea we try to drill into the ministry school. Right? I'm the pastor, which means, you know what that means? Chief servant. Chief servant. Right? It's a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm to serve most in the best capacity that I am. And as people become servants and get involved here, ministry's about servitude, life's about servitude. And servitude's the key to everything. You're not gonna be a good salesman if you don't serve your, sales, serve your customers. You're not gonna be a good family member if you don't serve the family around you. You're not gonna have a good business if you don't serve your clients. You're not, gonna be a, have a good, you're not gonna be a good coach if you don't serve those you're coaching. You're not gonna be a good friend if you don't serve your friends. Servitude is the key to everything. So we make a commitment to the higher purpose that we are servants. It's not this way among you. Whoever wishes to be great shall become a servant. Right there, there's a Tony Robbins principle. You know, Tony Robbins needs to look at Jesus because that's the foundation of success. You want success? He just said, if you wanna be great, serve. That's the way up. The call of the gospel is the way up is down. When you work at your job, your job is not about your wages. It's not your job that's paying your wages. It's the idea that you have the opportunity to be a servant. You have the opportunity to reflect Christ in the marketplace to those with whom you're working, to the bosses by the way you go about your business, by the way you show up on time, by the way you complete the tasks, by the way you communicate. All of those things are an opportunity to reflect Jesus. Lights in the world. We know understanding that we're not working for our boss, we're working for the Lord. And then here's the last one. Next slide. When they saw him, they worshiped him. So Jesus has just risen from the dead. It says, they saw him and they worshiped him. And I love this part. It says, but some doubted. Ha, ha, ha. Jesus just risen from the dead. And were like, is that really Jesus? I'm not too sure. You know, and some were even doubtful. And he spoke to them and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything that I'm commanding you. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. So as a follower of Christ, again, destiny awakens itself purpose awakens itself to when we begin to commit to the great commandment of loving God and sovereign him and then serving others and destiny comes when we make the great commitment to the great commission that we're supposed to go and tell people it's kind of what this whole month's about it's to give you an opportunity to go and invite someone you're supposed to you may not be Billy Graham you may not be able to give them four points and you know take them down the Roman road that may not be your ability but you have the ability to invite someone And Jesus says, so we make a commitment to that, that we're going to look for opportunities. We're going to pray for opportunities. We're going to invite people. That's one of the reasons why the church exists, is to reach people, but the church exists as a center in which people can hear and come under the influence of Christ. Lives transform. There's a lot of layers to it, but one of the base layers of the church or the purpose of the church is so that God can use it as a wheelhouse to reach people. Most people, by percentage-wise, it's like 7 out of 10, come to Christ through the church. And again, probably that same percentage number is people end up coming to church on the arms of a loving friend. So what does that mean? That the odds of somebody getting saved without you inviting them are very low. The odds of somebody getting saved without them actually physically attending a church are very low. And not just any church, a gospel preaching church. We got lots of flavors of churches, but no one preaches. They're very, not a lot of gospel preaching. And gospel is the, is, is the essence of the surrendered life to Christ. That is the gospel. That is the s- gospel in a nutshell. Surrender to Jesus in everything. <laughs> so I want to challenge you and just close right here. If I want to challenge you, if you're not, um, to make a commitment this month to invite some people. Make a commitment. Make a commitment. Make a commitment. Make a commitment. And if you're a first time guest here this morning, make a commitment to invite some other people that you know. That's why we're doing it. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm going to take you back to, first, to, to the first part. And the first part is simply that Christ must be the foundation in everything. And if you've never given your heart to Jesus, this is your opportunity. So we're just going to close with a prayer, two prayers and a blessing, and we're good to go. But this is an important one. This is an opportunity for you to give your life to Jesus this morning. And all you got to do is open up your heart and surrender your heart We're going to pray with you. We're going to pray together and Jesus will make himself the foundation within your heart. So let's just pray together. Dear Jesus, come on, let's pray out, guys. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. And I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me I ask you to heal me. I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His space to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he give you peace. God loves you, we love you. Have a great week.